Well, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time we get to look at the creed, uh, this statement of our beliefs, this summary of biblical doctrine. And we ask that you would uh, guide this time as we end this, guide this discussion in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are going to continue in our uh, walk through morning prayer and pick up where we left off with the creed over on page 15 in your prayer book. So yeah, so if you don't have a prayer book, um, we got extras there on the shelf. Always have extras on the shelf. And then um, a little, little bit of business. Um, word came down that Magda will give a report on their trip to Israel on the 18th. So what is that? Not next week, but the week after that. Um, so look forward to that. Um, and then uh, I think after this, after we conclude uh, going through morning prayer, um, we may take a bit of a break from going through the prayer book uh, to look at a text um, kind of a, by, by a classic Anglican author from the uh, early 20th century. Um, and it is, it is a, a great little book called Methods of Bible Study. So something that I think would be really fun to to equip us all of. And so there'll be news for that uh, coming up. Okay, so last week we looked at the final canticles in morning prayer. We looked at the Benedictus and the Te Deum. Um, and then we, we talked about the Jubilate. <clears throat> and then we began our discussion on the Creed. And we looked at the rubric where it said, Then shall be said, The Apostles' Creed by the minister and the people standing. And any churches may, instead of the words he descended into hell, use the words he went into the place of departed spirits, which are considered as words of the same meaning in the creed. So this idea that, um, you know, in, in the more modern rendering of the creed, they'll say instead of he descended into hell, they'll say he descended to the dead. And that, that's, and that is a, a, an accurate translation of the idea that the, the creed is trying to get across. Um, there is a certain amount of controversy as to where that concept comes in Scripture. Um, we do see the passage in uh, 1 Peter 3, I believe, where it says that he, he uh, preached to the spirits in prison during, his, during those three days. And so that's where we get that. Um, you know, there's, there's great patristic literature on the harrowing of hell, they call it, where he, uh, he goes and basically robs... Um, hell of all the Old Testament saints um, in um, oh what is what is the work I think it's the 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 Gospel of Nicodemus one of those second or third century um, extra biblical writings there's a great uh, a narrative about this I mean it's it's all it's all speculative and legendary but it's it's it says some has some really cool uh, theological things in it one of my favorite parts of it is you have this argument between the devil and death. Where the where 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 uh, the devil's like, well, how come you how come you let him come and, and take all these people? And the death is like, well, why did you have him crucified? You know, <laughs> shouldn't you have known how this was going to go? And it's just, it's a great story, and it's all from the perspective of um, Simeon, the one who who um, blessed him in the New Testament in Luke. Simeon uh, has has raised from the dead in the story, and the chief priests are investigating. 
uh, this reappearance of Simeon before he goes to heaven. And so uh, Simeon is, is, is telling, okay, this is what happened to me when we were in, when we were in, uh, uh, in, in, in Hades, when we were in, in Sheol, uh, when, the, when, the, when uh, the crucifixion happened. It's a really great story. Um, again, it's very speculative, but a great story. So let's, uh, let's look at the creed. Um, let's go ahead and recite this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So um, the Apostles' Creed is one of the three creeds that the Western Church has traditionally um, considered to be our creeds. Uh, The Apostles, the Nicene, and then the Athanasian. Our prayer book does not have the Athanasian, unfortunately. Uh, The American Church uh, cut it out pretty much from the beginning, uh, largely because the, uh, the, damna- the, the damnation clauses in the end, the anathemas at the end, were kind of offensive to uh, those, those early American Episcopalians. I mean, I think that's, that's due to them really not getting it or not understanding what's going on. Um, in, the, in the 79 prayer book, they did bring back the Athanasian Creed for special occasions, um, especially Trinity Sunday. And usually here at All Saints, we will look at the Athanasian Creed during Sunday school at Trinity Sunday, though we don't recite it liturgically because it's not in our prayer book. Um, we, 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 we try not to bring in um, innovations here at All Saints. That's, that's a way of, uh, of problems. Um, if we were using the ACNA liturgy or, God forbid, the 79, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is forbidden by our bishop to do. But um, if, we were doing, if we were using one of the more modern liturgies, we would recite the Athanasian Creed on those times. But um, you know, we, we are going to be sticklers for the prayer book that we use. We're going to submit to that discipline. So the Apostles' Creed, what is this, this creed? Of the three, it's the, simple, it's the simplest of the three. It's the shortest of the three. And it really gets into the details of things less than the other three. Um, It's both the earliest and the latest of the creed because in its early forms, we see it beginning as early as about the second century. We see records of it being used or its kind of um, seminal form being used in Rome as the, the outline of the baptismal vows. And that ends up eventually spreading to the rest of the church, and it reaches its final form in about the 7th century. So that means its final form is later than the other two, but it has its roots earlier than the other two. Um, It's not really used in the Eastern Church, though it does form the basis of the baptismal vows uh, in, in the church as a whole. Um, so the Eastern Church's baptismal vows look a lot like the Apostles' Creed, though they never use it liturgically the way we do. Um, and, and we generally use the Apostles' Creed during the offices, and this is just a custom that's been around since the monastic use of the offices, that early development. 
Uh, and and a, lot, a large reason for that is that we do want to remember our baptismal vows. Our baptismal vows come from this creed. Uh, so if you look over in the baptismal office, um, let's see, where is that page? Um, if you all beat me to it, uh, you, you, you get a, well, I'd say you get a taco, but the tacos are all gone. 273, thank you, 273. You would get a taco, but they're all gone. So um, when you, so um, the baptismal service begins on 273. And if you look at, on page 277 and page 278, you have the vows. And so um, um, in two, bottom of 276, we have the, the vows that the sponsors are making on behalf of the children. Um, the only difference between that and when it's done by adults is that they, um, I mean, it, it just is kind of a different context. The adults are making it for themselves. The sponsors are making it on behalf of the children. Um, but so it says, it says, dost thou believe all the articles of the Christian faith as contained in the Apostles' Creed? And the answer is, I do. Well, in the, um, where, where, where is it spelled out? I actually, I, I just had this and I lost it. I know it's I know it's in here, but but I've I've it's been a long time since I've done a baptism is really the problem. Um, well, because it should be dost thou believe in the Father, etc. 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 Oh, here we go. Sorry. Okay, for the adults, look at the bottom of page two seventy seven. This is where it's really really spelled out. It says, okay, um, uh, dost. So, so we, we, we begin with, dost thou renounce the devil and all his works, etc., etc. And then at the, at the top we have, um, dost thou believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, on page 278. Dost thou accept him and desire to follow him as thy Savior and Lord? Dost thou believe all the articles of the Christian faith, as in the Apostles' Creed? Um, yeah, it, it's, I, I hadn't noticed this. I should have noticed this. But it looks like our baptismal office kind of um, truncates it a little bit. Which is which is unfortunate, and let me let me see if it's in our confirmation then, because it might be that it got moved to confirmation. This is something I should have looked at ahead of time. I'm so sorry. There we go. Okay. Um, it really doesn't. Yeah, that's actually that's actually really really disappointing. I I, I remembered it being here, but maybe, maybe it's not directly in here. Traditionally, it was. I I, I have a feeling that the twenty eight um, abbreviated the baptismal office a little bit, which is which is unfortunate. Uh, there is a few places where, as, as much as the twenty eight is beloved, it does it does abbreviate things. Uh, they do have it spelled out in in. Um, in, in the catechism, though, where it breaks it down clause by clause, asking you, okay, what did you learn by this? I believed, I, I learned that, uh, you know, to, to believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this form is the bare bone basics of what we need to believe uh, in order to, to 
assent to being a Christian. So, so in terms of whether it's being baptized as of your own volition or whether it's being confirmed and, uh, and be basically reaffirming your baptismal vows, it's expected that this creed is what is the bare minimum for, for understanding your belief. Uh, and, and, and what we have here is a, is a summary of the gospel story. So um, that God made heaven and earth, God the Father made the heaven and earth, and then who Jesus is. Um, he's, he's, the son of, he's, he's the Son of God the Father. He's our Lord. Um, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, putting it in a very specific um, time period. This, you know, one, one time, um, an unbelieving family member uh, asked me, well, does it really matter if, if, if you could prove that Jesus never existed, would that matter if he was a Christian? I was like, oh, absolutely it would. You know, you need to have this be a historic faith. And this, this you know, family member was, was astounded that that would be the case because in, in his um, study of various comparative religions, it doesn't seem that the actual histor- historic ver- veracity really matters as long as you believe things and treat your neighbor well. Well, as Christians, it does matter. You know, if this didn't happen in history then our faith is useless and we might as well go do what we want. <laughs> I mean, maybe we could be good to our neighbor, but why should you if it, you know, I mean, if, if there is no, if, if Jesus didn't do what he did, if we're not saved, if there is no God, then um, why should I treat my neighbor well? I mean, maybe it makes me feel better, maybe, but why should I care about another person? You know, it only, it only you could, but you don't have to. I mean, there's, there's no reason reasonably speaking there's no reason for an atheist to be altruistic and it doesn't mean that there that there are no altruistic atheists but their reasoning for why they would be is not reasonable reason i mean it, it's it would make a lot more sense for us to be every man for himself if there is no god why should i lay down my life for someone if there's nothing beyond this life you know maybe i would do it for somebody i really care about but you know that that that's that that's part of the uh, the conundrum. So 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 it does put it in in history. You know he suffered under Pontius Pilate. We know about the reign of Pontius Pilate. We have records of this. Um, he was crucified, dead, and buried. Descended into hell. We talked about that last week and a little bit today. Rose again on the third day. Ascended into heaven. Um, sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That ascension means. That um, he, he ascended bodily into heaven, right? He, he retains his humanity even as he's in heaven. Uh, he he he's, you know, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That um, symbolism of, uh, of the Lord accepting his sacrifice, but also giving him that authority um, over all creation. You know, he, he, is, he is that right-hand man of the Father, quite literally, and then also that we believe in the Holy Spirit, um, so that makes our beliefs Trinitarian. Um, believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, these days, that could be confusing. Um, these days, some people, when they, when they read that, if, if, if they haven't uh, really studied this, they think, wait a minute, why are you Anglicans saying that you believe in the Catholic Church? You know, isn't, that a different, isn't that a different denomination? Isn't that a different uh, version of the faith? Um, uh, notice there is no uh, Roman before it, right? <laughs> the, uh, 
the word Catholic means universal, according to the whole. Um, this, is, this is a profession in the, the church as a whole that there is a, a society that God set up that we call the church. This, this, this new Israel, spiritually speaking, um, that, that is not uh, the province of one bishop or, or you know, one, one denomination. It would be better if we were all institutionally together, but um, you know, that's not the case. Uh, the communion of saints, we talk about that some today at All Saints. Uh, the fellowship we have with those that have gone before us, those that will come after us, um, time does not separate God's people. We are all still one people across time. Uh, the forgiveness of sins. That's important because if there is no forgiveness of sins, we have no hope. Uh, the resurrection of the body. We will be raised again bodily. This is not our spirit going to heaven when you die and that's the end of the story. But there will be a resurrection, a physical resurrection. We were made to be physical people and we will even even if we die even even after death one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth a physical heavens a physical earth with physical glorified bodies exactly what that looks like we don't know we have some hints when we look at our lord's resurrected body and some but and how much of that stuff is what he does because he has a glorified body how much of it's because he's god um who knows we'll we'll know one day but we do know that that's what we have to look forward to, a body that's not corrupted by sin and death anymore, a body that's glorified. And the life everlasting, it'll be an eternal life. Amen. Um, questions about the Apostles' Creed? We got time-wise. Okay, um, then we have, uh, we have this... this um, at the bottom, it says, or the creed commonly called the Nicene. Um, I'm not going to go too far into the Nicene Creed. Um, uh, just historically speaking, it was kind of the, the creed that developed to combat Arianism, the, the first of the major, major heresies in the church, um, one that threatened to split the church. And um, it's an expansion of the ideas we do see in the, in the Apostles' Creed. Um, the biggest difference is that it's explicit in the divinity of the Son and the divinity of the Holy Spirit, whereas the Arians were using earlier versions of the creed um, and twisting scripture to kind of um, deny the, the full divinity of the Son and the Spirit. Um, the Nicene Creed does flesh this out. Traditionally, the Nicene Creed is not said during morning prayer. Why do you think it may have been added for the 28 as an option? Charlie. Uh, wasn't it still the custom in a number of parishes to have morning prayer be the principal service on Sunday? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, it, was, it was not common at all in the early 20th century and before to have Holy Communion every Sunday. And so it seems that as they were moving towards um, regaining some of this, uh, because we did have the... Catholic revival in the Anglican world in the in the mid twentieth century or nineteenth century mid nineteenth century as well as the evangelical revival, um, kind of two sides of the same coin. Unfortunately, they were not friends with each other. Um, <laughs> here in America, we didn't have as many of the heated battles over that that they did in England. 
But um, there was this, this push towards uh, moving towards more, more frequent communion by the 20th century, but it was not yet common the way it, it became in the later half of the 20th century. And so they were making these moves towards bringing in, this is the universal creed of the church. You know, the, the, the Nicene Creed is the creed that is accepted by all the church. Deny the Nicene Creed, um, you are denying Christianity, is, is, is basically the historic position of the church. And so there was this idea that we need to have this more often in our circles, um, even if it's not the custom traditionally. Uh, Tracy, uh, In terms of not having communion often, um, uh, it's that's a long story, but but we'll go into it. Um, at the time of the Reformation, um, for for a very long time, for generations, the laity very very seldom took communion. Uh, the clergy the clergy were committed to taking communion every day. The the, the in, in the medieval church. And that custom continued after the Reformation among the Romans. But the laity very, very seldom took communion to the point where in some places they had to say, if you do not take communion once a year at Easter, you, are, you, know, you must take communion on pains of excommunication. The people just weren't doing it. The priests weren't offering it. Um, and, and some of that was because they were afraid. They were afraid that if they took it unworthily, they would, they would get sick and die. Um, they were, and, and rather than go through the proper issues of repentance, they just said, let's just not take it. <laughs> I mean, and, and that had been going on for generations. Um, when, when the Reformation happens, the architects of the prayer book certainly intended to have weekly communion. But they could not force the people to do it. The people would not do it. And, and a lot of the clergy wouldn't do it. The bishops wouldn't do it. I mean, you know, Cranmer and the authors of the prayer book intended it, but it was just not being done. And this continues really until the 20th century. Nobody in any of the Western church was taking communion every Sunday until the 20th century. Not the Romans, not the Presbyterians, not the Lutherans. Well, the Lutherans were more often, but they kind of fell off. At the beginning of the Reformation, the Lutherans were taking it often, but they fell off as developments happened in their tradition. Um, so, but nobody was taking it for a very long time. In our tradition, at least in America, it was typical to do it either quarterly or monthly. Um, by the 20th century, that is. Uh, there, there was something, there's an interesting story in... Um, uh, just after the revolution, the American Revolution, George Washington had been a cradle Anglican. Um, and he was a cradle Anglican in Virginia, which was notoriously low church. Uh, the Scottish influence made for other parts of the colonies to be more high church. And so you start to get a, 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 a slightly more frequent communion happening at, after the revolution because of the high church influence coming from Scotland. And so they, they moved from three times a year to quarterly or monthly in a lot of the church, the American churches at that point. Um, it was, monthly doesn't become common for later, but George Washington would excuse himself on those Sundays because in his tradition, they took it three times a year and anything more than that was impious. 
Um, so he, you know, he excused himself except for on which Sunday, Christmas, and Easter. Uh, Bob. Is there a policy in this diocese that you will have communion every service every Sunday? Or is it up to the clergy? It, it is up to the clergy. Um, most of the churches in the diocese do have communion every Sunday. Um, I do know of one, one parish. Um, it's actually the, the parish my, my parents go to where they have it two or three times a month. They don't have it every Sunday. They're, they're a much more lower church parish. And on, I know that one of the weeks they, they don't have it. They do morning prayer instead and have um, missionaries come in to talk about the missions. Um, and I don't remember if they do that twice a month or just once a month. Um, good friends. They are the exact opposite of us in our churchmanship, though. <laughs> Love those guys. But, um, yeah, they don't do it every week. Most parishes do do it every week. All Saints, when it began, didn't have clergy to do it every week. So All Saints was, was doing it, doing morning prayer most of the time. Um, Lily's not here, and, 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 um, and Charles isn't here. They could... They could kind of give us more details, but I believe we were able to get um, a priest monthly in the early days. Um, and I think, I think even when Father Chip was the rector, so my predecessor, for those of you all that are new, um, and he started 13, 14 years ago, I don't think they were doing it every week when he took over. Um, I think he, he's the one that introduced weekly communion here at All Saints, as well as a second service. Uh, the um, I was looking at the 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 uh, the duties of the laity in the ACNA's Constitution and Canons recently, and uh, one of the duties of the laity is to worthily take communion often. That's an interesting idea because um, what what is what is necessary for worthy reception of communion? Okay. Re- Repentance, baptism, um, and and you need to be in in love and charity with God and with your neighbor, right? And intend to lead a new life. Yes, exactly. And intend to lead a new life. So the idea is is you know we're, we said right there in the Constitution and Canons of the Church of the ACNA, if you've got issues that are barring you from communion, get it dealt with. Because one of your duties as, as confirmed laity in the church is to take communion often. We don't define often, but, <laughs> but it is. Uh, Charlie? Uh, it's interesting that there's a, an exhortation of the... I know this is totally away from what you're saying. Oh, yeah, no, no worries. The, uh, at the end of our communion service, that is specifically for a priest to give if he notices that his people are negligently coming to communion, but they're holding themselves back. Yeah. And I've, I've never had to use it because, you know, because here at All Saints, we haven't had that problem. <laughs> but, yeah, there's two exhortations at the back of, of um, at the end of the, the communion service. One of them is basically exhorting the people to what a big deal communion is. You know, exhorting people against taking it unworthily and taking it lightly. And we are, our rubrics require us to... Recite that exhortation three times a year. I think that is a hold up, holdover for when communion was only done three times a year. 
Uh, and, and that is one that was in the earlier prayer books. I don't recall if the negligent, the other one, which is if you see the people aren't coming to communion, I don't recall when that one was introduced, but, but yeah, it's very interesting. You, you basically have two sides, two sides of the, of the extremes. One is if your people are taking communion and they're doing it lightly, taking it for granted. The other one is if your people are being so, um, pietistic that they don't want to take communion, <laughs> you know, to, to exhort them to it. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Um, we, are, we are a few minutes early, but I'm going to go ahead and end it here. Um, this is All Saints Sunday, and so there's some, uh, some things I got to do before the service. Um, we are going to remember the faithful departed, especially those that, that have uh, passed in, in, your, in the last year. So if you have a family member or a friend who died in the last year, uh, please add it to the list that's in the narthex, and we will recite those names during the prayers of the people um, during, during the service. The Lord be with you. Yes. Father Marcus, would you close us, please? I'll see y'all in Mass or next week.